Why is Putin sending troops into a place that's not his country? He claims it's to carry out peacekeeping functions. And it's true. I keep this piece of Ukraine. I keep that piece of Ukraine. I keep all the pieces of Ukraine. I am peacekeeping. Let's talk about peace. I got the feeling that something right. Shall we? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream Coast to Coast. And around the globe every day on the Internet, it's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Not to mention your favorite podcast sites, except for Spotify. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling, uh, if difficult, edition of the Bradcast. Glad to have you here. Uh, Peace talks, peace talks, peace talks. Trying to keep my eyes on the prize. Peace talks. That phrase has been going through my mind. Uh, Well... Actually, the phrase that has been going through my mind since I first read this quote uh, last week, uh, quote, forget the cheese, let's get out of the trap. That's from Robert A. Lovett, the uh, defense secretary, U.S. defense secretary from 1951 to 1953. And uh, he was quoted by my guest on Friday regarding a path to peace in Ukraine. And uh, I'll get to that and and what he talked about in a moment, but I keep hearing it in my head. Forget the cheese. Let's get out of the trap. You got that, Desi Doyen? <laughs> oh, yes. I think it's... Uh... It's really telling and and has a broad implications for the U.S.-Russia invasion of Ukraine and how we respond to that. And how we get out of the trap. So keeping my eyes, keeping our eyes on the peace talks on Monday, as reported by Germany's Deutsche Welle this afternoon. Negotiators have met again as fighting in Ukraine continues, although agreements have been made for humanitarian corridors to allow for the evacuation of civilians. Those plans so far have faltered. The third round of peace talks took place in western Belarus, despite previous objections from Ukraine. Negotiators from Ukraine and Russia convened for their third round of talks on Monday, with the Ukrainian delegation saying there was potential 
progress on ensuring those humanitarian corridors. Although an overall deal has not been reached, Ukraine's lead negotiator said on Twitter after the talks that, quote, there were some small positive shifts regarding logistics of human uh, humanitarian corridors. At this point, I suppose we should be happy for small positive shifts. Uh, the uh, negotiator, the Ukraine, Ukrainian negotiator, did not elaborate on details, but Russia's lead negotiator said he expects the humanitarian corridors will start functioning Tuesday. Well, we will see. The second round of talks, which took place last Thursday, ended with the two sides agreeing to set up humanitarian corridors for the evacuation of civilians in cities under siege, but attempts on both Saturday and Sunday to maintain a ceasefire in several cities lasted only hours and left thousands still trapped without access to food, water or electricity. Both sides blamed each other. Ukraine rejected a third attempt on Monday ahead of talks after Moscow offered safe passage from several cities that would take the civilians into Russia. Not exactly what Ukraine was hoping for. Gee, what kind of offer would they want to refuse when it takes them straight to the people who are invading them? I mean, that's nuts. On the potential for a political settlement on securing a ceasefire after Monday's third round of of talks, uh, the uh, Russian negotiator said that Russia's, quote, expectations from the talks have failed. He added that he expects more talks to take place, which, again, I guess is good. I know it's good. Talking is good. He uh, told Russia Media, we hope that we will be able to make a more significant step forward next time. Again, take what we can get. While much of the corporate media, particularly the cable news networks, of course, are obsessed with the Russian war effort and Ukraine's inspiring effort to stand against it, and yes, at times, calls for the U.S. and NATO to join that effort, despite the fact that it would spark World War III and potential nuclear annihilation, I am still focused here on finding a path to peace. Not to war, not to talk about the militarization, not to talk about, uh, oh, uh, Putin's uh, army is not as powerful as we were all led to believe. Let's just get to peace, a path to peace, if one can be found. Uh, As we discussed on last Friday's broadcast with longtime Russia-Ukraine expert Anatole Levin of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft, that's what I want to talk to you about today and hopefully take some of your calls on it at 818-985-5735. On Friday's broadcast, um, I had a detailed interview uh, with, with Levin in Great Britain, uh, in addition to now serving as a senior research fellow on Russia and Ukraine at the Quincy Institute. He is formerly a professor at Georgetown University in Qatar and in the War Studies Department of King's College London. He's a member of the academic board of the Valdai Discussion Club in Russia as well as a member of the Advisory Committee of the South Asia Department of the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office. He's also worked as a British journalist in South Asia, the former Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, and has covered wars in Afghanistan and Chechnya and the Southern Caucasus. 
As noted on Friday's show, which you can, of course, download in full for free if you missed it at bradblog.com anytime, uh, Levin has important insight and knowledge on these matters by way of contrast, frankly, with so many that I see on cable news who have uh, a vested political or ideological interest on one side or another, or as is the case with so many cable news pundits. Uh, you know, they come straight out of the military industrial complex. And yes, they have a vested interest in warmongering. I, on the other hand, am interested in uh, peacemongering, if that's a thing. If it isn't, it should be. One of the things uh, greatly appreciated about our conversation on Friday is that when, Le- uh, when uh, Levin-, Levin didn't know something, such as, you know, what it was that Putin was thinking here, he would go out of his way to stress that he had no idea what was Putin thinking, nor did anyone else claiming to. That what we have to go by is what Putin actually says and what Putin actually has done. Levin is also author of several books on Russia, its history, its neighbors, including titles like The Baltic Revolutions, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and the Path to Independence, as well as Ukraine and Russia, a fraternal rivalry. In my interview with Levin on Friday, discussing his latest article at the Quincy Institute last week, headlined How to Get to a Place of Peace for Ukraine, uh, he, in which he laid out a roadmap for exactly that. We discussed that pathway and the roadblocks to such a peace agreement that would halt Russia's horrific, unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. And yes, it was unprovoked, despite what you may correctly uh, feel that NATO and the U.S. did in their eastward expansion. None of it. None of it provoked a full-on attack by one of the nation's strongest uh, nuclear powers, in fact. So, yes, uh, how to get to to peace in this case uh, against, well, what has been indiscriminate targeting of civilians and civilian infrastructure— Levin first detailed Russia's official demands for what— you know, they might want what Putin might want, what he has said he wants in this case. But he also noted that if Putin's true goal is a wholesale takeover of Ukraine, that the Ukrainian people's fierce resistance to the Russian invasion may be forcing Russia to recalibrate its options. Look, I mean, all I can say is two things. I mean, one is that there are the the, the Russian official demands which are on the table, mm-hmm. you know which is that uh, Ukraine should sign a treaty of neutrality so that it, you know, it, it can't join NATO. I mean, by the way, I mean, that would mean that it couldn't join the Russian alliance either. Mm-hmm. That uh, Ukraine should demilitarize. What this means is not entirely clear, but the Russian foreign minister has said that this means not having offensive missile stations in Ukraine, so a bit like the Cuban Missile Crisis in reverse. But it should denazify. That means um, presumably cracking down on Ukrainian extreme nationalist groups, and that it should recognize Russian sovereignty over Crimea, uh, which Russia took, or according to Russians, took back from Ukraine Mm -hmm. in 2014 after the revolution. Now, those are the official Russian demands. It is widely suspected that what Putin wants to do uh, is to replace the government of the whole of Ukraine 
if that was Putin's intention at the start, then every Russian analyst I've talked to has said that this must have proved to Putin and the Russian leadership that this simply would not work, that the Ukrainians will never you know, accept a, a, a Russian puppet government mm-hmm. over them. And, I mean, since it's quite clear that the Russian military campaign is not going uh, entirely as planned, um, we can at least hope that, if that was Putin's intention, that the Ukrainians have changed his mind. I asked Levin what he believes is the best potential path toward a real and lasting peace agreement uh, in Ukraine, given, uh, well, given those caveats he offered. What is the Anatole Levin plan for peace in this case, and, and what do the parties need to agree to on all sides in, in broad terms? Well, I think the first is uh, some version of the Austrian Treaty of Neutrality, whereby uh, in the early 50s, Soviet troops and British and American troops withdrew from Austria and mm-hmm. allowed it to, to develop as a, uh, you know, as a very successful market democracy. A treaty of neutrality cuts both ways. Mm-hmm. Ukraine can't join NATO, but it also can't join the, Euro- the Eurasian Union. You know, it will require diplomatic compromise and fudges. I mean, obviously, Ukraine can't demilitarize if it means giving up its armed forces. Uh, but the Russian foreign minister has suggested that this maybe just means giving, you know, not um, having the stationing of um, uh, of missiles in Ukraine. The most difficult thing, um, symbolically, is that the Russians are, are, are demanding recognition of Ro- Russian sovereignty over Crimea. Of course, there, as with the uh, now, you know, recognised by the Russians, uh, independent republics of the Donbass, the thing to remember is, of course, that that they have been out of Ukraine now for eight years. Mm-hmm. It's not that Ukraine is actually, in practice, giving up anything more. So um, I think that, in principle, in a rational world, which, of course, is not the world that we inhabit, <laughs> um, a, a peace agreement along these lines, but, of course, including the complete withdrawal of Russian forces from all the new areas they've occupied, should be possible. Russia would have to absolutely guarantee um, uh, non-aggression, you know, no future attacks on Ukraine, um, and uh, the uh, sovereignty of and territorial of in, uh, integrity of, of Ukraine minus those areas. The, the thing is, you have to ask yourself, you know, what, what is wrong with this solution? If what you care about is ending the war and, you know, saving the lives of Ukrainians and eliminating the threat of nuclear annihilation, and, you know, people need to say just what is wrong with an agreement along these lines? Yeah. What is wrong with an agreement along those lines? 818-985-5735 if you have an idea of what is wrong with an agreement along those lines or if you support the idea uh, that Anatole Levin was uh, talking about on uh, on Friday's broadcast. I, for one, am in favor of ending the war. I am in favor of avoiding nuclear annihilation. Radical position, I know, very brave of me. But really, uh, there is a dearth of discussion, at least as far as I've seen in the news media, when it comes to discussion of how to end this worsening nightmare. Forget the cheese. Let's get out of the trap. What is wrong with an agreement along the lines that he talked about if it stops the fighting, if it guarantees Ukrainian security as long as they are allowed to keep defensive weapons, if not offensive ones, that could be used to attack, say, Russia? 
They would declare themselves to be neutral, just as Austria did in the 1950s, before they went on to become a healthy, robust, largely market-based economic and political democracy. But, of course, if, uh, if Putin and Russia uh, get to retain control of Crimea, as they have now for the past eight years, as Levin noted, and, and the Donbass regions are afforded a measure of independence within a Ukraine federation, would such a peace agreement be rewarding or be seen as rewarding Putin's aggression in those areas? Would it send the signal to other would-be expansionist autocrats or even to Putin himself that, yeah, well, you know what? Violence and war crimes are ultimately worth the cost. That seizing territories by force will go unpunished, ultimately, and perhaps even rewarded. Levin told me that any successful uh, peace agreement must factor in both international law and the realities on the ground. Will this plan where, we're, you know, where sort of Russia gets to keep many of the territories that it has violently seized in recent years, does it risk sending the message that terrorism in this case works, that seizing territories by military force ultimately pays off? Or uh, even if the answer to that is, well, yes, does it at least, uh, you know, is is that the price of peace at this point, given what we're uh, staring down the barrel of at this point? Look, you know, in international affairs, alas, you always have to mix some combination of respect for international law with you know, respect for realities on the ground if you're not prepared to fight. The, the fact remains that, you know, A, the Russians are in possession and will never give it up, and B, a majority of the population of Crimea does want to stay with Russia, by all accounts. Mm -hmm. Tom Graham, who's former U.S. number two in, in Moscow, he, he has said, look, what, the only way out of all these territorial disputes and messes is local democracy. You know, have local votes under international supervision, run by the United Nations or whoever, mm -hmm. um, and just ask the local people, what do you want in Crimea, in the Donbass, in Kosovo, mm -hmm. and respect the results? I, I think, you know, that, that is, seems to me fair enough anyway. So declare Ukrainian neutrality. They won't join any Western bloc, such as NATO or perhaps even the EU. But they also cannot, in the event that a pro-Russian government eventually comes back to power in Ukraine at some point, they could also not join uh, a Russian bloc either, like the Warsaw Pact, for example. Uh, Russia, Putin, would ret retain Crimea, which Russia gave to Ukraine decades ago, only to see it taken back by Putin about eight years ago. But even there, they held a referendum in which Crimeans actually chose to be part of Russia over Ukraine. So hold a similar referendum uh, again there with proper international oversight, both there and in the Donbass regions of Donetsk and Luhansk, allow them some territorial independence within a Ukrainian federation and respect the wishes of the people who live there. Forget the cheese. Let's get out of the trap. That's uh, Levin uh, had quoted uh, the U.S. Defense Secretary Robert Levitt at the beginning of his article on all of this on uh, at the Quincy Institute last week. And again, it's just stuck in in my mind. If that gets us to peace, if that prevents uh, just a flattening of Ukraine 
a Groznyization of Ukraine, what Russia did when they just flattened Grozny in their war with Chechnya. Uh, that does seem to be where Putin is otherwise currently heading. No matter the inspiring response from the Ukrainians who, unfortunately, are unable to rely on any NATO nations to come riding into their direct physical defense, unless we are all prepared to spark a full war, World War III, something which, uh, you know, <laughs> the longer the things go on, the longer this war goes on, the harder it's going to be for NATO to not become involved in some way, either because they're drawn in by Putin in some fashion or just a simple accident occurs where bombs start uh, landing, for example, in NATO territory. Putin has already several times now hinted at the use of nuclear weapons if NATO is drawn in. So should the Ukrainian people and the world take this imperfect path toward peace instead? We don't know if uh, Putin is bluffing or not. But if he says it, I don't know. I think we're wise to be very, very careful. Or is that merely capitulating to Putin and emboldening him and and other autocrats to win their political and ideological hopes and grudges by force. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Love to get your thoughts on this today. What would you like to see Ukraine and or Russia give up in order to reach peace? Or is it too late? Would you like to see, as many on the right seem to be calling for, more involvement by the U.S. and NATO, like incredibly a no-fly zone? Which, by the way, that would require U.S. fighter jets to actually shoot down Russian fighter jets over Ukraine. And it would require the U.S. to bomb and NATO to bomb anti-aircraft weapons by Russia. That's what a no-fly zone is. And that would draw both the U.S. and NATO into a direct war with Russia and its allies. There are, uh, you know, incredibly enough, many in the media I've seen pushing for that madness. We need a no-fly zone. Maybe they or you know something I don't. 818-985-KPFK. Julia Davis of Daily Beast has been monitoring the conversations in Russia on what is left of Russian media, state-controlled Russian media in this case, now that most independent outlets have been completely shut down. And Russia has passed a new law against what they call Fake news. Yes, literally, that's what they call it. Sound familiar? But what Julia Davis described as being discussed at one point on one of Russia's most popular and very Fox News-like uh, evening news and, and discussion debate programs sounded very much akin to what Levin was suggesting in his own roadmap for peace for Ukraine after asserting that Russia was uh, at, quote, de facto war with NATO already. Andrei Kartopolov, the head of the Russian parliament's defense committee, said, according to Davis, quote, our position is clear and transparent, including during these negotiations. The essence is as follows, he said. Ukraine will recognize Crimea as the Russian Federation, as well as the Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic within their administrative borders. Ukraine will change its social and state system and become a neutral, demilitarized country. That's it. Now, another Russian lawmaker on the show took exception to what Kartopolov was saying, chiding him for speaking out of turn, angrily replying, according to Davis, uh, that this is not the time to tell everything. First of all, we're not the ones who should be saying that. They, Ukrainians, need to be the ones who say that. 
I shared that uh, quote from the head of Russia's defense committee at, in the uh, in the Duma. I shared that with uh, Anatole Levin over the weekend because it sounds almost or at least very close to the roadmap that he had offered late last week at the Quincy Institute, as we discussed in the broadcast. Uh, Anatole Levin replied back to me via email and said, I did not say Ukraine should demilitarize but that it could give up certain categories of long-range missiles. The model would be the solution to the Cuban Missile Crisis, which did not involve Cuba demilitarizing. He said, of course, Ukraine must keep its own armed forces, just as Finland and Austria did. We do not yet know what Russia would accept. Lavrov, uh, the uh, Dmitry Lavrov, the foreign minister, has suggested that a deal on certain categories of weapons would be sufficient said Levin. Crimea, it is true, he notes, is lost to Ukraine. But what has happened could be legitimized by a new referendum under international supervision, as in Kosovo. On the Donbass, he notes, I suggested that both sides might agree to return to the existing Minsk II process under which the Donbass and Ukraine could try to negotiate an agreement on federation. He said this would not involve Ukraine recognizing the independence of the Donbass. So the Minsk II, in case this hasn't been covered on your favorite cable station, those agreements were essentially what ended the worst of the Russian-backed separatist war back in 2015, sort of. In the eastern Donbass regions, uh, it was agreed upon by Russia, Ukraine, France, some other parties. It would result in a constitutional amendment by Kyiv, recognizing that the Donetsk and Luhansk regions uh, were had some sort of uh, autonomy as federated regions within Ukraine, giving them a certain special status and powers in the federalized government. Thanks largely to opposition, however, from ultra-nationalists in Ukraine. Yes, those are those Nazis you've heard Russia refer to constantly when they falsely claim that the Ukrainian government is a bunch of Nazis, which is nonsense, if only because the ultra-nationalists have no power in parliament and the president of Ukraine himself is Jewish, for God's sakes. But thanks to the opposition from the ultra-nationalists, the Minsk II agreements were never actually implemented. They don't want them to take place. Though Russia has been pushing for exactly that for years now. Levin believes renewing an attempt to implement Minsk II would be a key part of a pathway to peace. How do you feel about it? 818-985-5735. No matter what, Levin told me via email over the weekend, quote, Putin has to recognize an independent, sovereign Ukraine with the right to develop as a democracy without Russian interference. Do you feel that's even possible? If Russia's dreams are to restore the Soviet Union or even the greater Russian Empire, would he even want a peace agreement with Ukraine at this point or would he want to keep going? Again, Levin earns my respect by you know, refusing to guess what it is that is in Putin's head. But of course, uh, you don't have to uh, avoid those guesses. You can guess as you like. 818-985-KPFK. He says that if Ukraine puts forward those terms for a peace agreement and Putin still rejects them at that point, well, then we may have a better idea of Putin's larger interests if, in fact, he has 
any such larger designs. 818-985-5735. As it turns out, earlier on Monday, just before the third round of talks began, ABC News's Moscow Bureau reporter Patrick Revell tweeted, uh, quote, the Kremlin has announced its demands for ending the war in Ukraine. Ukraine must change its constitution to guarantee it won't join any blocs, for example, NATO or the EU, must recognize Crimea as part of Russia, must recognize the eastern separatist regions as independent. Now, there's a lot of definitions for independent here, so just take the reporting at face value for the moment. But for now, you know, forget the cheese. Let's get out of this trap. Kremlin spokesperson uh, told reporters that these positions have been put to Ukraine ahead of the talks on Monday, according to Revell. Indeed, back to Deutsche Welle now, uh, their report on the third round of peace talks on Monday. They said over the course of the discussions, Kiev expressed a willingness to ex- accept at least one of Moscow's demands, namely to guarantee that its status as a neutral country and rule out the option of joining NATO. That's encouraging, I think. But uh, they note Russian President Vladimir Putin has vowed to continue the conflict until all of his demands are met. These include Ukraine's ceasing military action, changing its constitution to enshrine neutrality, acknowledging Crimea as Russian territory, recognizing the separatist republics as independent territories, that uh, from uh, Dmitry Peskov uh, to the uh, Reuters news agency. So can a path to peace be found? Should such a path as the one put forward by Levin and largely echoed through, uh, though with some extra conditions by Russia, uh, should that be taken by Ukraine? Would it reward bad behavior by an autocratic criminal like Vladimir Putin? Would he actually even take such a deal or would it merely be a bump in the road towards grander plans of his for a reconstituted Soviet Union or an even larger, greater Russian empire? There's been a lot of propaganda from all sides out there in the media. So I am very interested in where you fall these days on this after taking in so much of the discussion we've seen over the past week and a half. Uh, And forgive me so much of the war porn that the cable networks are dishing out right now, seemingly round the clock. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. Or do I have it totally wrong? Is there something I'm missing entirely here? As usual, I'll try to put the folks who think I've got it totally wrong near the top of the queue, if possible. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At The Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All we are saying You can't be so chance. Yeah. All we are saying All we are saying You 
That's all we're saying. How about that? Louis Armstrong singing John Lennon. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our phone numbers are 818-985-5735. Let me grab some quick calls and uh, on, uh, you know, this peace plan that Andre, uh, I'm sorry, that Anatole Levin put forward to declare neutrality in Ukraine, that they won't uh, join NATO or Russian blocs, that they will allow Russia to have Crimea, but they will hold uh, uh, referendums. Uh, There and in the separatist regions of Donbass, they would uh, only have defensive military uh, akin to what Austria and Finland stood up after they also declared neutrality following World War II. Let's go to uh, Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hello there. You know, the uh, current events remind me of my childhood when we frequently had... uh Russian premiers threatening nuclear Armageddon. Mm. It's sort of part of the traditional Soviet, at least, posturing. Mm. But in any event, it doesn't make it less worrisome, perhaps. But as to the uh, metaphor about the cheese and the mousetrap, Mm -hmm. the problem with it is that uh, we are not the ones that went for the cheese. Mm. That is Vladimir Putin. Mm. Um, People have been speculating a lot about his mental state. I don't know what is at work there, but anyone who has to deal intimately with Donald Trump for six years, as he has, is doubtless going to have their IQ lowered by several points. That's one factor. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I would also argue, by the way, that there is cheese uh, for the Americans and the Ukrainians and NATO as well that they want something out of this. Uh, You know, of course, Ukraine has long wanted to join NATO. Um, And, you know, this is where it has gotten them. Now, they might have gotten here anyway. I don't know. Again, I'm not going to guess what's in uh, Putin's mind on on this. But I think if there's a uh, a path to peace, I think we ought to take it. I agree completely. The there's one problem, of course, with Professor Levin's premise. Mm-hmm. That is, guarantees for the integrity of the Ukrainian Republic um, depend on the word of Vladimir Putin, who never invaded mm-hmm. Ukraine, according to his own words. <laughs> well, uh, yes, it's a special military operation. It's a situation in Ukraine, as they uh, have described it on the Russian media that I try to follow. Hey, thanks, Mike. I, I do appreciate your call. Uh, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. You know, after sharing uh, that show uh, from Friday... At Daily Coast and, and Levin's plan, which has, you know, as I said, since been echoed, at least in part, by Russian lawmakers and Kremlin peace talk negotiators uh, and agreed to reportedly, at least in part, when it comes to uh, U- Ukraine saying, OK, we will uh, remain neutral. Uh, one commenter at Daily Coast, Colorado Tim, he wasn't having it. He replied, uh, quote, maybe have Putin stop the wars. Return forces to the original country lines. Return Donbass and Crimea to Ukraine. Then maybe Ukraine might not sue Putin for reparations, and maybe then Ukraine could be neutral. The scenario above, where Putin is rewarded with Crimea and Donbass, plus no penalty for launching the war, costing Ukraine uh, thousands of lives and billions of dollars in damage, I say no. 
and then let Putin lose the rest of his armies and lose Crimea, Donbass, and then pay reparations and be threatened by every other conquered country like Georgia, Chechnya, and maybe even some others that they decide they want independence from Moscow. He might even lose territory in the Far East to China or even Japan. Well, that is pretty brave for a, uh, a commenter on the internets uh, who is not actually fighting this fight, who is presumably, presumably not losing family uh, in, in the region right now, who is uh, not going without electricity and water and food in the middle of winter. But I understand. I understand how uh, some people feel about it. 818-985-KPFK. You may agree with Colorado Tim. That's why I'm interested in your thoughts. Do you feel that nothing can happen until Putin has stopped the war entirely and left the country and then will negotiate peace? 818-985-KPFK. Greg in Palmdale. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi. How you doing, Brad? Oh, I'm hanging in there, Greg. What's up? Well, I just I wanted to bring up a couple of points that I think everybody's missing in this. Okay. Uh, number, number one is Sevastopol uh, of Crimea. Uh, that was invested in by the Tsars all the way back in 1850. It's been a Russian base that counters our base in Bahrain, the Fifth Fleet. Mm-hmm. And if they lost it, they would end up being pretty well ostracized in the, in the region. Um, if if Russia wait, let me Greg, Greg, let me just clarify. You're saying that if Russia lost Crimea, they would be ostracized. Well, what would happen is they would lose their their black fleet. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the area, their only defense area, right. in Warm water. Right. OK. Uh, just clarifying what you were trying to get. At. Yeah. This is the reason why we've been working so hard in Ukraine to try to get a democratic government there. That would work with Exxon Mobil mm. to be able to take those pipelines that Russia profits from the oil to Europe. Now that's the main key. That's what he's going to lose if he loses the Ukraine. It's those pipelines going that supply Europe with oil. That will be gone. That will be taken. That's what Tech Filson had gone over there for uh, 2019. Try to negotiate those pipelines away from him. He well, couldn't do it, mm-hmm. and so Trump fired him. Well, uh, actually, my understanding, Greg, unless I'm wrong about this, which I could be, is that Nord Stream Two, for example, and I think Nord Stream One both bypass Ukraine. Uh, they don't actually go through Ukraine. Now, there might be other pipelines I'm not familiar with, uh, f- uh, you know, from Russia going into Ukraine and beyond. But those big ones, certainly the Nord Stream 2, actually bypasses Ukraine right now. Well, I think we're not going to be hearing much about the pipeline. That's the reason why we want to take the place. I mean, that's the reason why, you know, Rex Tilson, who I call Tech Tilson because of the Exxon Valdez, mm-hmm. uh, I'm saying that, that he was supposed to go there and try to negotiate, and he couldn't do it. And so there was some ceremonious thing about him, you know, and we've, we've tried to get him for making deals with Russia on oil mm-hmm. in the past. Uh, yeah. But basically, that is the main key, that and being able to take away their military prowess in the area. So they have absolutely no uh, presence 
inside the Mediterranean area or, or you know, the Black Sea Fleet, uh, it would just be gone. Take, taking uh, away, uh, you're talking about taking away Crimea from Russia to uh, knock out their uh, ability to operate in the Black Sea. I that's appreci- exactly it. Just right. like if we took away Hawaii or if we took away... Uh, well, Greg, to to Canada. be clear, yeah, to be clear, uh, even though the you know Russia gave back uh, gave Crimea to Ukraine as sort of a gift about I don't know forty fifty years ago now at least they were still allowed to operate their base. They still always had that Russian base there, just as we have an American uh, base in uh, in Guantanamo in Cuba. So it's not necessary. Yeah. What happens when? Ukraine becomes a Western state and joins in, let's say, they go as far as to join in with NATO. Uh, this, this march started in 1984 when the Clinton fell and had his way. Mm. Greg, you're, you're breaking up there. I'm going to have to let you go. Uh, but I think what you were saying was this started uh, many years ago. Uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, when NATO promised they would not expand eastward, and then they subsequently did anyway, breaking their promise. I, I hear you. I know where it started. Well, they said they didn't, uh, have a, they didn't have a promise with the U.S. They had the promises with the USSR, not with Russia. That was their that was their, their okay. caveat. All right. Either either way, yeah. Either way, uh, you know, I'm I'm less interested in how it started and more interested in how it ends. Greg, I got to let you go. Thanks, man. Appreciate the uh, call a lot. Eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. Eight one eight nine eight five. Five seven three five. Yes, Des. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, that I, I I can understand what he was talking about, but but I don't actually think that this is about U.S. energy policy. It might be more about how to maintain European energy policy because Europe is heavily dependent upon Russian oil, gas, and coal for like forty five percent overall of its energy that it uses in Europe, especially Germany. But uh, I I disagree with him that this is about a U.S. energy policy except for the fact that it does, when you have uh, Russia being such a huge provider, it does give Russia some serious pressure points, uh, geopolitical pressure points against, you know, NATO and the West, which, you know, he has expressed for decades that he's very unhappy about. And it does help the, uh, well, certainly the U.S. oil interest, but also the global oil interest, because there was, as we know now, there was a lot of uh, uh, oil companies, Shell, BP. And Exxon. Well, I was going to start with the European ones. They claimed to, you know, pull out uh, from Russia. Now we find that Shell has been, uh, well, sure, we're going to pull out from projects, but we're going to buy some of that really cheap oil you can't get rid of otherwise. Yeah. Shell was doing. And then uh, ExxonMobil, in fact, a U.S. company. They are divesting, but Exxon had already begun uh, shuttering its Mm -hmm. Russian uh, operations there. So they are beginning the process of unwinding that for now. So so to say that it's about energy for U.S. energy policy and that's why they went over there, I, I don't think that's actually true because Exxon had begun uh, moving away from Russian energy investments about two or three years ago. And I mean, I guess if the notion is, oh, we wanted this war to try to uh, shut down the Russian oil and gas, I mean, obviously that is hurting 
world supplies. That is hurting Americans. Maybe it's not hurting big oil because right. they're opportunistic and they don't care. They're, they're delighted. They're making sky-high uh, profits yeah. right now. Uh, and it's not because yeah. there's a shortage of oil right now. There's not a shortage in supply at the moment. This prices are sky-high because of oil futures, what they expect the future price to be in coming months, which it may or may not actually have a shortage by the time we get there. So right now, the profit margins of oil of the oil industry are huge, yep. and they could lower the price yep. of gas here in the United States. They simply refuse to. Right. And that's why the progressives in Congress today, I see, are trying to uh, pass a windfall profits tax to keep these war profiteers in the oil industry from... Well, doing what they're doing. Let me take a quick break here. We'll come back with more of your calls. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Would you like to see Ukraine take this deal that uh, Levin had, uh, Anatole Levin had laid out and that uh, Russia seems to be echoing, at least in part, even if not exactly, but seems to be uh, uh, uh Echoing the general contours of, I don't see how this war otherwise ends, at least not without getting much, potentially much, much worse. 818-985-KPFK. Quick break, and we're back. I'm Brad Friedman. This is The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Well, we know where we're going, but we don't know where we've been. And we know what we're knowing, but we can't say what we've seen. And we're not little children, and we know what we want. Bradcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Yeah, we are on the road to nowhere. 818-985-KPFK talking about the uh, trying to find the pathway to peace in the Ukraine somehow. I think it's a top priority, but we shall see if you agree. 818-985-5735. Let me go to Harold in Redlands. Hey, Harold, welcome to the Bradcast. Well, thank you. Where's uh, all my women at the- today, by the way, Desi? Where's all the women's at on uh, today's show? Anyway, sorry. I know. They haven't called in. I know. I know. Uh, uh, you're just oh, hanging up on them. Up no, no, Harold. No, 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 no. Please, please go ahead. I'm sorry. I got distracted. Yes. Oh, well, anyway, I was going to say, uh, to use the metaphor again of the trap mm-hmm. and the bait, uh, there are so many rats, we have to have a lot of traps. And we have to have a lot of bait. Yeah. But one common denominator is peace. But who wants the peace? Do the rats want the peace, or do the citizens of the world want peace? 
So how do we then load these multiple traps for these multiple rats? Well, I think the trap has been baited and uh, we're all sort of now in that trap. Now it's a matter of extricating ourselves from it. Is it not, Harold? I mean, we're we're in this thing, and this has got, you know, showing no signs of getting better unless you look at and cross your fingers and, and sort of squint at the peace talks and hope that, you know, it yields something. Other than that, I don't see this thing ending on the ground anytime soon, at least with that, I mean, unspeakable uh, destruction of Ukraine. And that's if we're lucky. In other words, if we're lucky, it stays in Ukraine. I'm quite worried it goes beyond that, Harold. And I agree, and that's what I'm worried about. So forget the trap metaphor. Get down to what another individual said, and that is the only way to come to a peaceful uh, solution is to have all the mothers of the soldiers lay in front of the tanks, but it has to be organized, it has to be powerful, powerful in the sense of we must have peace. Who is losing lives? We are going to lose lives in this country. And that's what bothers me. All right. We have to stop it. Yeah. An alternative has to be found. Let the mothers defend their sons. I had a bad mother. She would have never defended <laughs> No, no, that's not true, Harold. I'm sure she would have. Thanks. I appreciate the call. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to have to be the Russian mo- mothers, I'm afraid, who are the ones who lie down in front of these tanks at this time. The Ukrainian mothers, they're out there fighting like hell. They got AR-15s in their hand. They're, they're fighting like hell for their, uh, for their country. Andy in Winnetka. Oh, Andy, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. Hi. What's up? Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely worth to try everything you're saying to give in, but we should make it clear that he already lied, and he said he wasn't coming in. He wasn't going to invade. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he can be trusted. I find it unlikely that we could trust any kind of deal with him. Mm. I think he wants to expand further and go into Poland and all that, I think it's time. My my gut says it's time to go in uh, with with an air, with the military. That's what I feel. With the U.S. military. With the U.S. I mean, military. It's like, it's like Hitler. It's like Hitler invading Poland. The longer we wait, the stronger he gets. That's the way I, that's my, I feel it's worth a try what you're saying. But I don't, I don't find that it, it, it would be likely that it would work. You'd like to see the U.S., just so I'm clear, you'd like to see the U.S. and presumably NATO, because when you attack one country in NATO, then they're all supposed to, you know, work together to defend. Yeah. Uh, you want to see U.S. and NATO. You want to see U.S. Uh, warplanes over Iraq, U.S. troops, uh, boots on the ground Not in over, Iraq? Over, over I, I'm sorry, yeah, in Ukraine? However, how, no, I don't want to see that, but I feel it might require that. If yeah. I feel it's worth a try what you're saying. But, but we have to make it clear that if this doesn't, if if they won't accept that, mm-hmm. or they keep on moving in, then mm-hmm. we have to do that. That's all I'm saying. I think it's no. worth trying what you're saying first. I hear no, and I hear you, and thank you, Andy. And that's sort of a. I mean, I hear I have I've read people making that argument that no matter what, NATO is going to be dragged into this. So it's better that they get in sooner rather than later, rather than. Uh, allow uh, Putin to lay waste uh, to Ukraine before we then it's, get it's in. It's really tough. Yeah. It's really tough. 
Yeah. I'm not with you yet on that one, so I do appreciate your uh, at at least uh, hoping for peace first. I sure do. Yeah. I sure do. Thanks, Andy. I I appreciate the call. Uh, 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to uh, Matt in Santa Maria. Hey, uh, hey, Matt. Welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you very much. Um, I must... um, humbly say uh, last time I I called I didn't think this invasion was going to happen and I was very wrong and um, but I do completely agree with you that this thing has to end as soon as possible yeah, and uh, we're, we're you know this gentleman is is insane I think he would happily use nuclear arms uh you know talk about putin and mm-hmm. also <clears throat> trying to negotiate all of this person um i'm sure you're familiar with the quote from kant that says you cannot uh convince a ridiculous man that he is indeed ridiculous now matt uh what uh, did we just lose matt shoot I was going to say something nice to Matt, uh, which was basically, I will say it anyway. Hopefully he's still listening. Uh, Matt said he he called in and uh, last time he said that Russia was not going to invade uh, Ukraine. And then, of course, Russia did invade Ukraine. Uh, So he was wrong about that. And he was uh, a fine enough person to say, to admit it, to admit that he got that part wrong. I wish there was more uh, more of my listeners, more uh, people in this country who are able to admit it when they got something so terribly wrong, especially something as important as this. Um, so uh, thanks, Matt, for doing that. Now I'm worried that he agrees with me, Desi. So last time he was so wrong. Now he agrees with me. I may be in trouble. That's I don't think so. About. But anyway. All right. I hope you're right. Uh, 818-985-KPFK. Oh, we're up against the wall here uh, at the end of the hour. So that means, yes, haven't heard from Morris in a while. Morris in Long Beach. Uh, Hey, Mo, uh, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hope you've been doing okay. Haven't heard from you in a while. Whoa. Good God, yo. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. No, it's no good, man. All that's just pour from the flow up, and everybody's giving us false messaging. But you know what I feel for? Those are people, man, just like you and me. We can't imagine that stuff happening in our neighborhoods, but it's possible, man. I got to cheer for them people, and I wish the military com- military industrial complex and these uh, oil people in Russia and oil people over here would stop using people, humanity, as pawns to, to get their they profits on. Because that's what's behind all of this. And what about them promises? What about them promises that was made that we wouldn't put no m- missiles over there, Brad? Okay, somebody reneging, don't you think? Uh, I I hear you. Thanks, thanks, Morris. I'm not sure, by the way, if uh, we have missiles in Ukraine. I know we've got them in other former Soviet uh, satellite countries. They're supposedly oh, they're just defensive. But you know, if those kind of Supposedly defensive missiles were on our border in Mexico, in Canada, in, yeah, Cuba. We might have a thing or two to say about it. Uh, before I get out here, uh, did, did you have a thought? Because I got some, some little bit of breaking news that I want to oh, hit no, before Oh, no, go ahead go. and do the breaking news. Basically, sure? I was just going to say, hey, listen, if you object to U.S. imperialism, you maybe also might want to object to Russian imperialism and invading a sovereign neighbor and stuff like that. Uh, as I've been, you know, had to repeat over and over again for the past two weeks, I am against 
against the U.S. uh, attacking sovereign countries. I am against Russia attacking sovereign countries. It's real easy. My position has been quite consistent on this. Uh, I oppose aggression, period. All right, before we get out very quickly, uh, I suspect we'll cover this more tomorrow. It's broken uh, over the past hour here in a victory for Democrats. The Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, what, has turned away efforts by Republicans in North Carolina and Pennsylvania to block state Supreme Court-ordered congressional districting plans. That means that uh, Democrats are likely to pick up seats in both uh, in both uh, uh, Pennsylvania and in North Carolina, at least as compared to the past 10 years because of these rulings. It looks like uh, Amy Coney Barrett and Chief Justice John Roberts decided to vote with the uh, Democrats on the court. That's some good news before we get out uh, that I'm sure we will pick up again on uh, tomorrow's broadcast. All right. Until then, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our board operator, Gary Baca, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>